Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Little Rocket Man meets Big Rocket Man in uh, perhaps the most overrated photo op in history. Hey, what do you say, everybody? <clears throat> Happy Tuesday, Tuesday, June 12. Uh, here we go. It is the Bill Press Show, and you are part of it, and welcome to it. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Tuesday. And, of course, the big news is the summit. Uh, yeah. Tuesday here in the United States, but it's uh, almost Wednesday over there in Singapore. And last night at 9 p.m. East Coast time is when a very uh, well-orchestrated little scene, uh, the president coming in from stage right, uh, Kim Jong-un coming in from stage left, meeting in the middle with a big handshake, then a little private session, and then uh, the uh, actual meeting with the North, North Korean team and the United States team. Uh, and the president hold, doing a sit-down little interview with uh, Sean Hannity, of course, George Stephanopoulos from ABC News, and then holding a news conference, his first since last February, I don't mean 2018, February 2017, uh, for an over an hour there in Singapore. And he said things got al- they got along so well that he has invited Kim Jong-un to the White House, and Kim Jong-un has accepted. Yes. So no more meetings with uh, Trudeau or Macron or Merkel or May from now on. It's going to be Putin and Kim Jong-un at the White House. Oh, my God. Where does this go? If if anywhere, uh, will it amount to anything? You tell us. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Okay, we'll take you from start to finish in just a moment. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, so 
There was a bachelor party that was flying from Ibiza back to Belfast, Ireland. Now, mm. uh, it's uh, prob- could go wrong. You could probably already imagine uh-huh. that it's a pretty rowdy affair. Well, they were drinking a lot, and one man took out a blow-up sex doll on the flight, which you are not allowed to do. <laughs> Just want to be clear. You're not allowed to do that. So there were other passengers on the plane, and they told the guy, they were like, you, you can't have that out. you got to do that because he was being very <clears throat> affectionate, inappropriate with yeah. the sex doll. They told the guy, hey, you've got to, A, stop drinking because you're drunk, and B, put your sex doll away because yeah. this is a airplane filled with people. You can't do that here. And he got very belligerent. So belligerent, in fact, that they had to actually make an emergency landing to get the guy off the plane. So I've heard of emotional support animals flying. <laughs> Sex dolls are not emotional support animals. I should be very clear mm-hmm. about that. That is not part of the deal. They have to stay in the overhead luggage compartment. Hey, leave them there. Right. Leave them there. <laughs> uh, you've, got a, you've got an iPhone, Bill. I've got an iPhone. Hey, has an right iPhone. here. Everybody has an iPhone, right? Well, here's the thing. Apple seems to be a little worried that their next version of the iPhone will not be as popular as the last. In fact... They've told suppliers to manufacture 20% fewer components for the upcoming iPhones. It's sort of saying they're anticipating that some of the desire has worn off of the iPhone. Uh, no, I think it means that, um, uh, that just everybody has one. That's a fair point. I and mean, they've saturated the market. But up until this point, I mean, they're on what? They're on model... 10, right? Oh, no, like how many... People keep buying more and upgrading and getting newer iPhones. It hasn't yeah. been a problem in the past, but you're right. Maybe people are just, they, they just have too many of them. Maybe. Maybe. But also, you don't, I mean, at least I don't, buy a new one every single time. You know, you know like what, though? A lot people of people do. do. Really? Yeah. A lot well, of people do. They, I mean, they have this whole thing now. You could sort well, of yeah. opt out of your yeah, contract right. early or you're get you like you're you right. only keep it for two years or whatever so i don't know man we'll we'll have to see uh how that works out but apple seems to be worried about it um so uh, tell. Uh, let me tell you i'm not too worried about jared and ivanka trump and i'm not too worried about apple yeah fair you know what i mean This is the Bill Press Show. Oh, what a show in Singapore. Yes, indeed. The two of them did meet. Donald Trump did not walk out. And they have vowed to meet again. It was over almost all before it started. And Donald Trump said a huge success. Hello, everybody. That starts us off here, and boy, that kind of wraps it up, what this day is all about. One great big overwhelming news story from Singapore, the historic summit, whatever happens, whatever you think of it, and think of the two people who took part in it. It was a historic summit between the president of the United States and the chairman of North Korea, (coughs) uh, starting just a little couple of seconds after 9 o'clock last night, East Coast time. Hello, this is the Bill Press Show. Uh, As always, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, with our news of the day and uh, giving you a chance to sound off about it as well. We're reaching out to you all across this great land of ours, coast to coast and around the planet. 
thanks to our social media and YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Looking at you, there you go, on Free Speech TV and joining you on the radio. Statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks and all through the greater Chicago area on the great WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. It was quite a scene. You saw, I'm sure you've seen the pictures now of this uh, stage bedecked with the American and North Korean flags, every other flag uh, from one of those two countries. Can can we just stop there for just a second? That was pretty impressive. It was pretty impressive, but also, (laughs) had Barack Obama done this with, like, say, Iran, Republicans would be losing their minds. Let us not forget that North Korea is a dictatorship. Consorting with the enemy. Yeah. Yeah, right. And uh, the two dictators came out, one from either side. Oh, I didn't mean two dictators. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. You've been watching I, too much Fox News. Uh, how could I make that slip? But anyhow, well orchestrated. Donald Trump coming out from the right, Kim Jong-un from the left. And they did the big handshake, turn around, grin for the cameras. Then they had a little private session uh, with just the two of them and their translators. And what gets me, and then they sat down with the, with both delegations and started their meeting. Uh, the, the main thing that comes out of it is, is Donald Trump just, you know, over just overflowing with praise for Kim Jong-un. And there is this idea of his, put it this way, if Donald Trump ever were to take the subway, right? Now, Donald Trump has never taken a subway in his life, I'm sure, right? Because he had a limo from the time he was in diapers. Um, if he ever took the subway and he sat down alongside of somebody... Within a minute, he would be that man's best friend in the world and would say he is the greatest person like that ever lived. That's kind of the way he approaches people, and that's what he said ahead of time could happen at this summit. It reminds me of George W. Bush when he first met Vladimir Putin and said he looked into his eyes and saw his soul, right? Oh, that's right. You know, this is it's I, I don't care. I hope good things come out of the summit. But you can't tell me that in one minute Donald Trump was able to size up this murderer, this dictator, this absolutely ruthless guy who would have his own half-brother killed and his uncle killed in the worst possible way. Uh, You can't tell me that in, in a minute you can size him up and say, oh, man, he is such a good soul. But, boy, Donald Trump, this is what he said. He's, again, just smothered him with praise. He called him. described him as a great personality and very smart, a very worthy, smart smart negotiator, a very talented man. He says all this about about Kim Jong-un. The the minute he meets him, uh, called it a fantastic meeting, very positive, top of the line, very good time. I mean, all this Donald Trump, everything. Over the top, over the top, over the top, over the top in every way. You know, there are people who are very good at judging character pretty quickly, like getting a read for someone. Donald Trump, I don't think, can make that argument if you look at the people he's had to hire and fire over the years. Uh, Excuse me, over the last year and a half of just being president. Yeah, yeah. And I don't care who you are, you cannot size up anybody that fast. Away. Particularly when you know this guy's background, right? Yeah. In fact, to me... One of the uh, the craziest things he said last night was he was asked, 
President Trump was asked at the news conference about, now, did you say anything about these tens of thousands of prisoners that are in North Korean prison camps because they're political dissidents and they're like in these gulags, you know? And Donald Trump said, oh, uh, yeah, they're the big winners <laughs> in, the? in this summit. What? Yeah, they're the big winners in the summit. What? Yeah, because uh, our relationships are going to prove, and I'm sure that Kim Jong-un is going to do something now to help those people. They're the big... I'd like to ask some of those prisoners this morning when they're getting their gruel for breakfast, right? Or getting beaten or tortured. Are if, you tired of winning yet? If they feel, yeah, right. You're going to get if tired of like, winning. They're, they're like uh, the big winner. So uh, so here he is. Let's just dump around, uh, jump around rather, well, or dump around, uh, jump around some of the sound last night. Uh, Donald Trump making a big, the big statement, uh, we have met and denuclearization is starting now. Chairman Kim and I just signed a joint statement in which he reaffirmed his unwavering commitment to complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. He slows down. Yeah, that's a big word. Denuclearization. That's a big word for him. We don't really know what that means. Uh, But again, Donald Trump saying this man, Kim, he's very, very, by the way, 34 years old. Very talented man. I learned he's a very talented man. Mm-hmm. I also learned that he loves his country very much. Yeah, By learned, the way, you, you mentioned he's 30. He uh, loves his country very much. He is a young man. There are varying reports as to what his age is because we don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> that, that tells a lot about North Korea. We honestly don't know. He's either 34, 35, 36, somewhere in their mid-30s, but we don't know hmm. because that's the type of country that North Korea is. Right. But I'll tell you one thing. The North Korean people love him. I don't want to talk about it specifically, but we've given him, he's going to be happy. His country does love him. His people, you see the fervor. They have a great fervor. Yeah. <laughs> you have, see the fervor. It's, they have they such have a, great a great fervor. They have a great, that's why I've always wanted to go to North Korea, because they have such a great fervor. <laughs> the great fervor. Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. When you, you can only get that type of fervor in North Korea. It's the when you fervor. see... Him up at that parade, that military parade, and all those thousands of soldiers goose-stepping. Yeah. Knowing if they dare got out of step, they'd be shot dead on the spot. Right. right? Yeah, nothing inspires oh, fervor that, quite like yeah, the fear of death. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, again, right away, so much, loves him so much, the first thing he's going to do, he he was going to do this before he got to Singapore. There's no doubt about it. By Invite him to the White House. Did he? Damn, Donald Trump says, damn right I did. That will be a day that I look very much forward to at mm-hmm. the appropriate time. And I also will be inviting Chairman Kim at the appropriate time to the White House. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I would tell you, Kim has played Donald Trump like a violin. Honest God, he really has. And again, Donald Trump saying, I looked into his eyes and I feel already this very special bond. Special bond, right, with Mm-hmm. We have developed a, a very special bond, so uh, people are going to be very impressed, people are going to be very happy, and we're going to take care of a very big and very dangerous problem for the world. Donald Trump even promised him, you're going to be very happy. Donald Trump said, uh, quote, unquote, you could have the best hotels in the world. Now, <laughs> what the hell does that mean? <laughs> you know what that means? I'll build a Trump Tower in Pyongyang. Right. You could have the best hotels in the world. Just think about it. You could have a McDonald's on every corner. 
Uh, hell, you could have an IHOP. Well, IHOP. IHOP. You could have an IHOP, right? Stay tuned. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he's promising. He's promising all of this. And some people did say, well, listen, you know, what did you get in return for everything that you gave up? You gave up so much already, Donald. No? He says, uh-uh. We haven't given up anything other than you're right. I agreed to meet. And I think the meeting was every bit as good for the United States as it was for North Korea. Whoa. Well, we didn't give up, give up anything in one breath. On the other breath, he says, well, we gave up our war games. We will be stopping the war games, which will save us a tremendous amount of money, unless and until we see that the future negotiation is not going along like it should. Right. And, and <laughs> so it's I, perfect. He can't help himself, but he can't help himself but contradict every yeah. statement that he makes. Yeah. We made no concessions, folks. We would never make any concessions. Uh-uh, no. Well, we stopped this. We stopped their war games. By the way, and we said earlier, they should have stopped their war games. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're just a waste of money. And, they were, and all they were doing was to try to spook the North Koreans. Uh, and in which, and in which, in response to which North Korea would just shoot off another missile. So, you know, it's, it, it's, I think it's, it's kind of mixed reaction to this, right? I think all of us have to, should, as Americans, uh, and I am, happy that the summit took place. Uh, it certainly has the possibility of, potential at least, of working out and bringing maybe not total denuclearization. I don't think that will ever happen. But at least to ease the tensions on the Korean Peninsula, to end the Korean War, uh, and to get rid of what um, could be a real, very real threat to the safety and security of the United States down the road. The most that the summit accomplished last, yesterday was getting the two leaders together and starting a process. That process, I think it's important that process goes forward, and we can all hope and pray that that process bears results. At the same time, I think we have to be realistic. Again, Donald Trump is just bluffing it. At the most, this is a beginning of a process. We should remind ourselves that there are three presidents before who have reached agreements with nuclear with North Korea that they're going to end their nuclear program, and all three of those agreements fell apart. So let's be realistic that this could fall apart too, and it would not be unusual for it to fall apart. So I hope for the best. But uh, lower ex- expectations of what might really happen, particularly with Donald Trump at the helm, who doesn't know what the hell he is doing. You know, it's really interesting. And he's uh, more interested in scoring. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. No, he really is. And he's more interested in getting all the credit and getting the new Nobel Peace Prize than he is in actually results. I, I was actually over the weekend, CNN had put out some of the uh, – more popular uh, episodes of the Anthony Bourdain's uh, mm, uh, show mm. that he had on on CNN, and one of them was the one where he was in Hanoi and he met with Barack Obama, which we talked about. And they specifically talk about the Iran stuff and Libya and working with these notorious world dictators. And Obama said. You know, we don't make peace with our friends. We have to go make peace with our enemies. And I think that's true. I yeah. think that's a big, yeah. big part of what Obama tried to do with a lot of different countries. But 
the same people that are praising Donald Trump's strong leadership today <laughs> on getting this done with North Korea are the same people that bashed Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and John Kerry as secretaries of state for the deals that they tried to work out right. to try and stop madmen with nuclear weapons. So, no, if you take, if you want to, the role model yeah. for dealing with an arch enemy and getting them to agree to unbelievable terms in terms of reducing their threat of nuclear power, you'd have to say the Iran nuclear deal, the Iran nuclear deal, and put together by Barack Obama and John Kerry is the role model for progress in 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 foreign diplomacy negotiations with an evil power that the Iran nuclear deal and what did Donald Trump do ripped it up there's a it. there's a great documentary on HBO which I've referenced a couple of times about the last year of the Obama administration they they follow around Ben Rhodes John Kerry uh, and it's all about them putting this together and the gamble that they're making dealing with Iran yeah yeah. And they, it's so thoughtful. It's so well thought out. It shows John Kerry conflicted about some parts of it. It shows Ben Rhodes conflicted about part of it. Are they doing the right thing here? Right. Yeah. And like a lot of thought went into it. You know, in fact, if Trump were really doing it right, he would have said, okay, we've got this Iran nuclear deal. That's our model. Right. Let's take that and duplicate that with North Korea. Right. Rather than. Destroying one, trashing one, and then trying to start from scratch with North Korea. And also just like rushing into the North Korea thing yeah. without a plan. Yeah. And also, as uh, I think Dan Balzan in Washington Post points out this morning, the other difference of approach here is that every, every, one, every, every other one of these agreements with North Korea and the Iran nuclear deal were bottoms up, meaning months and months and months of preparation and staff work went into the framing of this deal. This one is not bottoms up. This is top down. We'll start by a handshake between the two leaders, and then we'll figure out what the hell to do. <laughs> but what could I go keep, wrong? I keep coming back to all Donald Trump was interested in is what happened, the handshake between the two leaders. Now, okay, I'll c contradict myself. He is now interested in one thing more, which is getting Kim Jong-un to the White House or maybe to Mar-a-Lago <laughs> so they can have chocolate cake. That's right. Right. That's right. That's the next step. Uh, it's not the only news uh, that happened yesterday, by the way. Uh, bad news here at home with a Supreme Court decision, five to four. You know, the headlines say it all, I think, about what happened when uh, – here's the uh, New York Times happened. Supreme Court headline. Supreme Court upholds purge of Ohio voters. Anytime you see the word purge in the headline, it's not good. No, I can't think of a good a good uh, headline that uses purge. Not good for democracy, not good for America, certainly not good for the people of Ohio. But this gets back to, just bear with me here for just a second. Historians are going to look like the election of 2010 was made one of the most uh, significant elections in terms of its impact in the history of this country. Because thing, we, you know, we all focus on Barack Obama gets elected in 2008. Yay, we're in a new direction. And then 2010, Republicans take over the House and Republicans take over 
governorship after governorship after governorship, state legislature after state legislature after state legislature. And then came reapportionment, and then came all the Tea Party people in the House of Representatives, and then came these red state legislatures and red state governors, and one of the first things they did was suppress the vote. Remember, some 22, 23 states passed different measures in different ways to make it more difficult to vote, especially for people of color, for young people, and for older people who, guess what, are more likely to vote Democratic. Not over, not unanimously, overwhelmingly, but more likely to vote Democratic. And there are all kinds of different ways requiring a photo ID. Oh, by the way, and they did all this in the name of voter fraud, which uh, my good friend Jeffrey Tubin from, uh, we were talking about this last night uh, at a program, uh, Jeff Tubin from CNN, who said voter fraud is a cure in search of a disease, right? I mean, it's like the voter suppression is a cure in search of a disease. And they all say voter fraud. Voter fraud doesn't exist in this country. It does not exist in this country. But with this alleged problem of voter fraud, they tried all kinds of things like requiring a voter ID, shortening the early voting period. You can't vote and reg- register to vote on Election Day. And in Ohio, this is what they did in Ohio. If you don't show up to vote, I think twice in a row, Ohio sends you a postcard. And if you don't return the postcard saying, yeah, I still want to be on the voter rolls, then they drop you. Now, that's crazy. Just think about this. How many people did, so you get a postcard, a postcard from the state. How many people are even going to read it, right? Seriously, particularly young people, male, snail mail. What is that? Right. Right? <laughs> do I get do I Unless get this coming mail? on this yeah. or on that, you know, your laptop or whatever. No, they're not gonna they're gonna communicate that way. And you know, a lot of people again they ignore it or maybe they have moved. Uh but with Ohio, this is what they were doing and it came up to the Supreme Court yesterday, uh, and the Supreme Court voted five to four. And Neil Gorsuch, who is quickly becoming known as more conservative than Clarence Thomas. Uh, part of the minority, Samuel Alito, um, wrote the majority opinion. Uh, and so there were, so, there, and by the way, those people who were purged in, uh, in Ohio, they particularly came from the cities, of course, which vote Democratic. Uh, had the numbers here for you. Just one second. Yeah, the cities of Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Columbus is where most of these people came from. 144,000 people removed from the voting rolls. Yeah. Yeah. You add those 144,000 people to uh, the vote count in Ohio, that could easily, easily uh, make the difference. I mean, for all these people that run around and talk about how what a great country we are and freedom and all these things that we have, yes. It, yeah. It's true. <clears throat> we also have the freedom to not vote. Yeah, right. And that's okay. And by the way, you it, should vote, but uh, you don't have to vote. Right, right. And there's nothing in the Constitution that says that if you don't vote, you lose your right to vote. Right. But that's what Ohio was saying. 
So Reuters did a study of this uh, move in Ohio, and here's what they found. This is a Reuters study, quote, Voters have been struck from the rolls in Democratic-leaning neighborhoods roughly twice the rate as in Republican neighborhoods. Neighborhoods that have a high proportion of poor African-American residents are hit the hardest. Sonia Sotomayor, Justice Sotomayor, uh, wrote a, a blistering minority opinion, dissenting opinion yesterday, where she said, Let's no, make no mistake about it, this is part of a trend on by Republican governors in Republican states to squash the particularly the minority vote, uh, and it's you know it's a racist thing. And she said people in this country have to get up in arms and stop this thing. Uh, so she really, really, really came on strong. Horrible decision again, five to four. And as we say so often, it shows why elections are so important, and it shows again why there's no more the the number one reason. For getting out to vote, and particularly in voting, voting for president is Supreme Court. Supreme Courts, because so many things hinge on that. Other little bit of news yesterday that we got. You'll be happy to hear this, I'm sure, uh, that um, members of the White House team, other than the president himself, of course, he doesn't think he has to do this, have filed uh, their uh, little financial reports for how well they did in 2017, don't feel sorry for Ivanka anymore, nor her husband, Jared. Um, they revealed that, for example, in 2017, Ivanka made, on the Trump Hotel alone here in Washington, D.C., her percentage of the Trump Hotel in Washington get, earned her $3.9 million in 2017. She also made, on top of that, $5 million from her jewelry and clothing line, Ivanka Wear, I guess it's called. Uh, by the way, I just just it's worth noting that all of Ivanka's products are made in India, China, or Bangladesh. Make America great again. Make America great again, yeah. Donald Trump's whole thing about just America, made in America, American products. Yeah, they don't believe it for a second. At any rate... Uh, Jared and uh, Ivanka combined last year in 2017 um, top White House aides with a security clearance at the White House, where they're, by the way, not not picking up a salary at the White House. Now, you'll know why when you hear what I'm about <laughs> to tell you, that their combined uh, income in 2017 was $82 million. Good grief. Okay. Now, the question I have, of course, is if they're making that much, how much was Donald Trump making? Because he's doing the same. He's making money from every one of his businesses and golf clubs and hotels around the country. And it just so happens that yesterday also uh, in a Maryland courtroom was held the very first hearing uh, for the lawsuit against Donald Trump in, for, by, brought by the district attorneys of the District of Columbia or the attorney generals of the District of Columbia and the state of Maryland accusing Donald Trump of being in violation of the emoluments clause for making money from foreign government. What? Finally. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and the judge let this lawsuit go forward. He hasn't ruled on it, but he said, yes, this lawsuit can go forward. Um, and I mean, you know, look, it's not, this is not rocket science. Why do the Kuwaitis hold their big events right now in the Trump International Hotel? 
Why are all these embassies moving their events from other hotels to the Trump International Hotel? Because it's the Trump International Hotel. And when they see the president at some event at the White House, they're going to be able to say, oh, man, what a great hotel. We just love that hotel. And you know that Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner have all kinds of domestic and foreign government connections through their work at the White House that is influenced by the money that they're making in those countries and from those other products. So, No doubt. No, no doubt. It is uh, <clears throat> follow the money. That's all I can say. Follow the money. Yes, indeed. Meanwhile, also, didn't get a lot of attention this week. The federal government is taking, uh, the Trump administration, I should say, one more club, one more meat axe to the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. Uh, Sam Baker is here from Axios to tell us all about it. Quick break, and we'll be right back. Take The Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. And here we are on this Tuesday, June 12. Uh, How about it? Great to see you today. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C. We're right here on Capitol Hill in the heart of the action and brought to you today by the International Association of Iron Workers. Great men and women of the Iron Workers Union under President uh, Eric Dean. They are building our communities today and ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow. (laughs) Congress ever gets around to passing an infrastructure uh, bill and the president ever gets around to um, pushing for one. Uh, Check out their website at ironworkers.org. Lots of action on the Supreme Court front and lots of action on the health care front. Sam Baker Baker from uh, Axios uh, keeps on top of that and joins us to bring us up to date. Hi, Sam. Good good to see you. You too. Uh, We were just talking a little bit about this uh, decision yesterday on the Supreme Court with Ohio. Um, A pretty... Pretty significant d- decision in terms of this. Yes. All these efforts about voter suppression that we've seen around the country. Yeah, uh, Ohio was is the most aggressive state in terms of purging its voter rolls. You know, it's not unusual for states to have some kind of after so many years or some mechanism to try to sometimes legitimately clear out people who haven't lived yeah, there. Yeah, you know, right. I'm probably still registered to vote in Kentucky, and if they want to, I haven't lived there since I was 18. So if they want to get me off the rolls, that's sort of okay. But like everything else related to voting now, it is all red states have realized this can be a weapon to keep people from voting who we don't want to vote, that there's a very strong, credible accusation that's what's going on in Ohio, and that'll happen more now. What is the reality of voter fraud? Almost none. It's, It's, there is, I mean, I think in... 2016, they found what, like fewer than 10 cases, some of whom were voting for Trump. <laughs> yeah. Um, About 300 million of 300 million Americans. Yeah. Or, or um, maybe 200 million registered or whatever. There's yeah. just no, it's a theoretical problem, but it, there's no evidence yet to suggest that it is a real problem, really hardly at all, much less one that is significant enough to actually affect elections. Right. And part of this was triggered, as you uh, indicated by the finding, uh, and we heard this in 2016, that there were millions of people who, or maybe I think millions probably, uh, nationwide, who were registered in more than one state. Right. Because they had moved 
And when you move, like I have moved, when I moved here from California, I didn't take our name off the cal. I didn't call up the right. Who would think to do that? No, yeah. you don't do that. You don't yeah. call the Secretary of State and say, "Just want you to know, right. I'm moving." But when you get to the new place, you register to vote, and that's where you vote, right? And that other thing just sort of hangs out there, right? Right. It, it doesn't mean that you're voting in more than one state. Right. No, it sounds nefarious when you say, you know, people are registered to vote in I know. multiple oh, states. Right. Like, well, I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. From who unregisters to vote. You know, you just sort of assume. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, I think, I think, as I recall, Steve Bannon was registered to vote in more than one state. I think that's right. Yeah. Aren't we all? <laughs> so uh, in Ohio, but they would send you the... the but uh, so the the Constitution prohibits dropping people just because they don't vote. But uh, uh, that was the issue in front of the Supreme Court, as I understand uh, it. It's a federal but, law, not the Constitution. Federal law, yeah. sorry. Yes. Okay. But then uh, Samuel Alito, in, in the majority decision, mm-hmm. said, "No, Ohio doesn't just do that, though. They send you a postcard." Right. It, that's really just what he says: is that the people aren't being dropped because they didn't vote, because that would be illegal. Yeah. People are being dropped because they didn't vote. And they didn't return a postcard in the mail, which, you know, I can tell you right now, inside the front door of my apartment is a lot of mail <laughs> from, accumulated over months, some of it from the city of the District of Columbia. You know, that, just, that's a really common yeah, that you've offense ne- if you're going to call it an offense. You right. Know? That you've never looked at. Right. Well, people have never looked at. Right? right. And again, particularly for younger people, we were saying this earlier, I mean, getting snail mail, right? I mean... It's just not the way they communicate. Right. And it's, you know, tell us if you've moved and if you haven't, you think, well, yeah. this must be fine, right? It didn't change anything. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah. Right. Uh, but, and, and you said something important earlier, I think. There will be more of this now after the Ohio. This is basically yes. a green light to other states. Yes. You can go. So Ohio was the most aggressive in terms of doing this. So now every red state knows you can go at least as far as Ohio. Someone will surely try to push it further and will be back here talking about whether that was constitutional. Now, this was a 5-4 decision and the classic five, as you can imagine. Uh, a little different decision last week on the cake. Yes. Uh, it was 7-2, so, to two, wasn't it? It was. It also didn't say much. Uh, <laughs> okay. It was. So, so this th- is a cake again. Yeah. This is the case, just to remind uh, all of our listeners of viewers, out of Colorado, right? Yes. Uh, so it was the a wedding cake. Exactly. A same-sex couple went into a cake shop. They said, we want a, a custom-made cake for our wedding. The owner of the cake shop said, I am a Christian. I don't believe in same-sex marriage. I will not bake you a cake. Um, and so that collision of his religious rights and their rights as a same-sex couple collided in the courts, well, first in the Colorado Civil Rights Commission and then all the way up to the Supreme Court. And what the Supreme Court basically said was, look, same-sex marriage wasn't legal in Colorado at the time. When it was before that first Civil Rights Commission, some of the commissioners seemed pretty dismissive of Christianity Mm -hmm. and just sort of acted like he can't possibly believe this. So we don't think he got a fair shake. So he wins. But, you know. Now, same-sex marriage is legal nationwide. You know, they very explicitly said the next baker might not win. Hmm. Just because this guy could do this a couple years ago when the law was different does not mean we are saying that that will be the law forever. So, you know, I think that 
that is pretty narrow on the merits, right? There was a lot of evidence that that the guy didn't quite get a fair shake, uh, even if the decision would have come out the same way, that he didn't really get a fair hearing before the Civil Rights Commission, and that's why two liberal justices were willing to say, okay, fine. And, and But it, to me it was pretty disturbing because some people will take that decision and say, look, I don't have to... Uh, serve them a pizza or, you know, I don't have to wash their car or I don't have to sell them a suit or whatever because yeah. the Supreme Court has ruled that this baker can get away with refusing to make a wedding cake for this couple. I mean, I think you've seen the court and really Justice Kennedy in a lot of, as some new piece of same-sex marriage or same-sex couple of rights has come up, they've always just sort of put their you know, sort of signaled, we're on the side of the same-sex couples, but we're not going all the way there. You know, when they struck down DOMA uh, in, what year was that? 2012, maybe? A couple, the federal ban on same-sex marriage before yeah, they right. declared, before they said states can't do it either. You know, they could have gone all the way then. Yeah. But just sort of said, we're, you know, on well, their side, but we're going to let so this build up in the lower courts, let sort of more judges reach their own conclusions, flesh out the law, and then eventually it'll get back to us. And we're kind of telling you where we're going to fall, but not right. really. So one step at a time. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, aren't the, it's still pending. And by the end of June, Supreme Court usually wraps up its work for yes. the year, right? And there's a lot left. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's right? It's going to be a really insane some, couple of weeks. They yeah. have some big decisions coming down, including yes. reapportionment. Yes. What else? Uh, well, that's a really big one. Yeah. To, to the process of elections. That will be really huge. That's Wisconsin? Yes. And that the basic question there is when you do gerrymandering, it, it's well established that it's illegal to gerrymander districts uh, for racial reasons. But the question here is, can it ever be unconstitutional to do it just for political reasons? If you say we're just Republicans and we control everything and we want to keep mm -hmm. controlling everything, can you ever take that too far? So that's just a really interesting threshold question for the next census and, you know, every 10 years after that. Right. There's also the travel ban still coming. Oh, they've got the travel. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Which I think they probably will uphold based on the oral arguments. Mm -hmm. um, they've got a really interesting case. This is not as political, but about whether police can get the location of your cell phone without a warrant. Which is just, a re you know, it's interesting because we keep our phones with us all the time now and the court's precedents aren't really up to snuff for that. You know, they're based on when you would make a phone call on a landline and now it's a record of your every move and everything you've ever looked up on the internet. Uh, I think. But isn't it just a fact that uh, every, I mean, everybody can know where our cell phone is at any one time. That's, that's, it's the built, without that's a built into the cell phone. Well, it's the without a warrant right? part that's a big deal. You know, should the police need to, when they go to the cell phone company and say, we want to know where Bill was for every second of Tuesday, should they have to demonstrate probable cause that you were doing something untoward, or can they just go? I have an answer. Yes is the answer. Yes, they should. <laughs> on me? Well, on anybody, not <laughs> just you, you, but especially <laughs> you. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they say. Yeah. During arguments, they were, you know, they're all pretty old. But yeah. they were pretty uh, well aware, you know, this this technology is just different than anything we've dealt with before. And we they just sort of seemed like people who've recognized they needed to pump the brakes. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? How do they get it? 
by the way. They, they, they just call the go to Apple and say. They don't go to Apple. They go to AT&T or Verizon or whoever oh, it is. Yeah. Because all of everything you do on your phone is technically their data, not yours. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. There's no way that that. That, that they're going to rule otherwise on that one. It's a, it like, that's what I say. It's not as overtly political, but we all have a lot on the line. Right. Uh, now, meanwhile, uh, just changing directions here to get into the Affordable Care Act, all the efforts made uh, to repeal, three efforts, as I recall, uh, through the Congress, a repeal and maybe replace or not even re- replace, were not successful. So now it's chipping away through administrative Right. And executive actions. And in the courts. And in the courts. Right. Uh, Which brings us to this latest move on the part of the administration. Yes. uh, Which really are aimed at some of the most popular parts of the Affordable Care Act. Yes. Yeah. Guaranteed coverage for people with pre-existing conditions. Like the one thing that everybody knows about the Affordable Care Act. Right. The one thing that everybody supports about the Affordable Care Act. That you cannot deny somebody the right to buy insurance or right just simply because they have a pre-existing condition. Right. And a lot of people do, don't yes. they? Yes. Yes. I mean millions of Americans yeah, have pre-existing right. conditions. It's almost yeah. if you don't have a pre-existing condition, right? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you're the exception rather than the rule. Yeah. If and, you don't have one. Right. And so there's two provisions here. One that says insurance companies cannot just refuse to sell you a plan. And then the other one says they can't charge you more because of your pre-existing condition. Mm-hmm. So they can't come back and say, well, all right, we'll cover you, but for a million dollars. Right. Yeah. And these, are, so how did this come about? Are these in the courts? Are they being challenged? Or? They are. Uh, it's a, it's sort of a weak argument, and so it's a complicated argument. But it all goes back to the individual mandate, um, which, you know, Republicans said they repealed as part of the tax bill. Right. What they actually did was they removed the pen or they changed the penalty to zero dollars. So the way the mandate's written, it says you have to have insurance or pay a penalty. When the Supreme Court upheld the mandate in 2012, they said, sure, Congress can make you pay a penalty. That was mm-hmm. the whole thing about it being a tax. But they did not uphold the, you know, half of the sentence that says you have to buy insurance. They just upheld the penalty. So now Congress comes in and changes the penalty to $0. And Texas, of course it's Texas, says, hey, that other thing that says you have to buy insurance is still on the books. Court never upheld that. The thing they upheld is gone. Mm -hmm. But so it's unconstitutional. So now they're saying that because of the way the individual mandate was sort of repealed, uh, the whole law is unconstitutional. Then the Trump administration, DOJ, comes in and says, we agree that the individual mandate is unconstitutional now, which is a big thing for them to say anyway, because their job is usually to defend federal law. Right. And we don't think the whole Affordable Care Act has to fall along with it, but guaranteed coverage for people with pre-existing conditions does. So this was a choice that the that DOJ made. They could have said, they could have just said, no, the mandate's fine, this is ridiculous. They could have said, uh, mandate's unconstitutional, but you can just slice that out and leave the rest. They could have said anything, and they chose to say, this is the piece that has to fall. Well, now, so in this midterm election year, doesn't this, um, I mean, as you pointed out, this is one of the most, maybe the most popular part of the Affordable Care Act. It's the one thing that everybody agrees that you should not be. And understands. That law is so complicated, but 
Right. They still have to cover you. Right. Okay. Okay. So, so just to make sure I understand. So the Trump administration went out of its way. Yes. To put themselves on the side of Texas in this case, right? Yes. They didn't have to get involved. As you say, usually their job is defending federal law. Yeah. This is agreeing with the state to overturn federal law on the most popular provision of the Affordable Care Act. Right. Why? this In this election year, would they do that? That's a great question. I mean, you did see, too, I think it was three career DOJ lawyers uh, yeah. left the case right before this filing came out. So we kind of knew, oh, that they're going to do, you know, they're going to go all the way here. And it's political lawyers that took it over, which makes sense in terms of the decision to change their position. So these three lawyers, just so people understand, refused to file, put their names on this case. Yes. They thought it was so bad. Yeah. Which is very rare. Yeah. 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 Uh, And yeah. And I, you know, there's nothing that could happen for Democrats in the midterms that would change this. It's a lawsuit. You know, you're not, DOJ is not up in the midterms. They can keep doing whatever they want. And this lawsuit's already in progress. It's in Texas, conservative judge. But all the same, for the administration to reopen this debate about pre-existing conditions. And, you know, it's an accurate hit now for Democrats to say the Trump administration wants to take mm-hmm. away coverage for pre-existing conditions. Yeah, that's the position they've taken. You right. Know? It's And it's not like two or three steps removed. It's just what they said they want to do. Yeah. Why you would reopen that in a midterm cycle that Democrats already want to make all about health care is just makes no sense. Um, the Wall Street Journal NBC News uh, poll last week, we talked about it here. Uh, one of the things that struck me about it is it, it was the matchup of would you rather have Democrats or Republicans in control of Congress? Would you would you vote for more likely to vote for somebody who's going to stand up to Donald Trump or go along with Donald Trump? But the other question they ask is, what's the most important issue facing the country? And number one, health care. Yeah. Turned out it was health care over jobs in the economy. Yeah. It I mean, really is kind of amazing how Democrats might not have won the election, but they've certainly won this issue of health care, right? Like before Barack Obama was president, it just every, everything was fine. Nobody cared, right? Like I shouldn't say nobody cared, but like it wasn't a priority to get health care fixed in this country. And now because of Obamacare, because of the ACA, Try taking health care from someone who has that. And we saw what happened. The Republicans saw what happened. And for them to double down on this seems unwise at best. Well, yeah, yeah I think politically unwise. Yeah. As long as Democrats are in the position of taking advantage of this and making making sure that people understand what's going on. Right. And who's doing it, who's responsible. Yeah. Well, and that's why I get back to it's such a simple and easily understood part of the law, you know, Obamacare is really complicated. Right. And it also seems really complicated. And to get in there and say, well, you know, they're doing this thing that's going to cause insurers to raise their premiums, so we got to make a payment over here. And people just kind of, I don't, why are you doing this? Right. But this is just such a simple, you know, almost moral argument. That's what I was going to say. I mean, at at best it's unwise. At worst, it's just immoral. Mm Mm-hmm. No, and you think about it, uh, the most popular provisions of Obamacare, right? This is one. Yes. The other was kids being able to stay on their parents' plan until they're 26. Yeah. Does that still exist? 
It does. <laughs> okay. It does. They haven't gone after that yet? <laughs> Not yet. Um, okay. Um, I'm just trying to think what else might have been. So Medicaid good. expansions, actually. Oh, Medicaid good. expansion. It of plays course. as really controversial in politics, but on the ground it's pretty popular. Right, right. And uh, particularly with Virginia coming on board now. Yeah. 440,000 people added. And and it, Ohio, we talked about Ohio just a little early, but Ohio's under John Kasich did expand Medicaid. He's yeah. one of the few Republican governors, red state governors, who uh, bucked the trend. I, I think one of the things you just said, Sam, was, was really telling about where we are. It plays well politically, but on the ground, it's a totally different story. I think that's the story of Obamacare. <laughs> Right. Like you have people who are in Congress today who ran almost exclusively on repealing Obamacare. And when it came down to actually repealing Obamacare, when you had a super when Republicans had a supermajority, they couldn't do it because it's just on the ground. It's too popular. And the specific thing that always tripped them up was coverage for people with preexisting conditions, you know, because you start to take away. You take away the individual mandate, all right, then how do you pay to cover sick people? You you start messing with the subsidies. You know, it's right. it's a complicated law, but that's because it's trying to use the free market and private insurance to cover people who are expensive to cover. And, you know, you you pull a lever over here and really soon you're starting to chip away at that sort of core promise. And that was something that congressional Republicans, to your point, Peter, already decided they didn't want to do. Right. They already got right up to it and said, well, we're not doing that. Yeah. But, you know, I think the these three attorneys who pulled themselves off the case is very instructive. I had a, I had a chance to interview, uh, uh, I think, one of the sharpest legal minds in the country, for sure, Jeff Tubin from CNN mm-hmm. and New Yorker yeah. uh, last evening over here at the Hill Center. And we were talking about this, and one of the points he made was he said, can you imagine these three? So these are career professional attorneys, been with the DOJ you know, maybe decades, right? Republican, Democratic presidents. They're just there doing their job, right? And 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 they're asked to go out and doing right. their job representing the federal government and take health care away to deny people who have some pre existing condition the right to buy health insurance. I mean, is that really the way you want to be remembered, right? You want that part of your legacy, really, if you're a dedicated attorney? No. These three people said, no, we are not going to do that. It goes against everything we believe in. And you know? one, and it wasn't a partisan yeah. political thing. It was just a human decency argument, right? One yeah. thing people need to understand about both lawyers and civil servants in the federal government is you just, your job is to execute whatever the thing is that the political people decide if you're a civil servant and if you're a lawyer it's represent your client so to be a longtime litigator for the justice department you've seen administrations change and you've said all right right we were over here now we're over here i will do my best job to make the best argument for my client which is the federal government and like and that's the job and that's what a good lawyer does so you know it's not just they were asked to sort of take a conservative position because that comes with the job yeah. It comes with both layers of the job, being a civil servant and mm-hmm. being a lawyer. So that's what sort of makes it so incredible for these lawyers to get off the case. Right. Is, you know. uh, b- back to this this uh, case of Ohio yesterday. What are we learning in general? What are we learning about Neil, Gor- Neil Gorsuch? Um, he's not going to be any David Souter, is he? No. No. <laughs> he's. It was, I mean, for Trump's purposes, it was a good pick. 
He is very conservative. Uh, he has a lot to say, which is not surprising. He had a lot to say on the appeals courts. Um, you know, I think if you look at it as a seat that could have been Merrick Garland's, it's really shocking. If you look at it as a seat that was Antonin Scalia's, it's kind of stayed the same. You have right. a really talkative, really conservative guy in that seat. Right. And you will for decades. And so Mitch McConnell's gambit of denying Merrick Garland a hearing for paid off. a whole year paid off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he's the one I think it gets, if you want to give credit <laughs> or blame, not Donald Trump. It's more Mer- Mitch, Mitch McConnell's choice. Than that group. Anyway. Yeah. Hey, Sam, it's great to see you. Thanks you so too. much. You can follow Sam at Axios, of course, Axios.com. Evan McMorris Santoro coming in as this a friend of Bill. Coming up next. Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yeah, when Little Rocket Man meets Big Rocket Man, it is nothing but love. Oh, yeah, right away. They just bonded. Special bond, says uh, Donald Trump. Uh, What do you say? Hello, everybody. Yeah, just wait till Kim Jong-un rolls into the White House. Great to see you today. He's been invited and he accepted. Here we go. Lots to talk about with this big summit yesterday. And it's good to see you here on this Tuesday, June 12, the Bill Press Show live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, with the news of the day. Yes, mostly, mostly consumed by news of the uh, big summit in Singapore. It is over. Both leaders are flying home. I don't know. Kim Jong-un might already be back. Uh, Got a little... Not so far to travel as a Donald Trump does. That's one of the, that's the overwhelming big story, but also big Supreme Court decision yesterday. We've been touching on uh, having to do with voter alleged voter fraud, but really a purge of the voting rolls uh, in Ohio. Uh, numbers coming out showing that um, boy, the best thing they ever did in terms of their financial uh, wealth. For Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump was to go to work at the White House, uh, and it paid off for them big time, $82 million they made uh, last year. Man, I want to get one of those White House jobs. Uh, Lots going on. We want to hear from you and your comments on the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. So get ready. We'll dive right into it. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Uh, Bill, are you hungry? You want to get some breakfast? You, uh, go- you don't want to have my yogurt. You got your yogurt? Well, we No, I have my Chobani We yogurt. can always go to IHOP. Oh. Not IHOP. 
I hob. God, I, 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 we, we talked know ab- yet? We talked about this last yeah, week. Yeah. I hob. Wow. We didn't know what it was going to be. Our, my theory was International House of Breakfast. Breakfast. That's what everybody thought. It's not that. They announced yesterday that it is the International House of Burgers. Burgers. For breakfast? No, not for breakfast. They're trying to make the point here that they are serving food around the clock, not just for breakfast. Because it is, people think of it as a breakfast spot. I always say if you go to IHOP and you get anything other than the breakfast, you're doing it wrong. They are embracing that and saying, no, no, you can come here and you can get burgers uh, around the clock. In fact, they announced that they're going to have a what's called a big brunch burger that has bacon, a fried egg, and hash browns on top of it. Uh, do you know how hungry God. I'm not going to eat a burger from no. IHOP? No. Excuse me, no. IHOP. They also said that they're not actually changing their name. This is just marketing. Like, this is just, like, for a it's limited a time. Stunt. It's a total stunt. They, but they, they announced and they admitted. But, you know, I, yeah, this it, isn't it, really. It, look, to me, it sounds so stupid because, for one thing, there are a lot of burger joints. Sure. A lot of, I mean, you think about burgers, right? You think about Five Guys. Or you think about McDonald's. You think about... You know, you, Shake Shack, take your pick. Shake Shack, all every, I mean, burgers are everywhere. Burger King, yeah. Burger King, right? <laughs> sure, sure. But you think about pancakes. Yeah. There's only one. Yeah. Hi Hop. And they do a damn good job of making pancakes. Yes. Just keep making pancakes. Right. Just yeah. keep making pancakes. Uh, by the way, uh, y- yesterday, as Donald Trump was preparing to meet with Kim Jong Un at 8:35 p.m., mm. remember the the summit was. Nine at o'clock. 9 o'clock p.m., so just a few minutes before, Donald Trump took to Twitter to tweet out, quote, Our great Larry Kudlow, who has been working so hard on trade in the economy, just has just suffered a heart attack. He is now in Walter Reed Medical Center. So the statement didn't come out from the White House. It didn't come from Walter Reed. It didn't come from Larry Kudlow's office. It came from Donald Trump on Twitter. Literally 25 minutes before he's supposed to meet in one of the biggest summits that we've ever seen as a country. So that's cool, but I he, guess. But, Peter, he'd been preparing all his life. Yeah, I guess all the preparation was done. All There's the preparation was done. No more preparing than he needed to do. Anyway, we hope Larry Kudlow is okay. Uh, it was a minor heart attack by all accounts. That's the White House is saying a very minor one. Any heart attack is serious, yep. so hope Larry's doing well. This is the Bill Press Show. We had a very special bond. We love each other. I'm going to spend my next vacation in North Korea. And Kim Jong-un is coming to Mar-a-Lago and we're going to play golf. I mean, that's kind of (laughs) what it sounded like yesterday. Donald Trump with effusive praise, showering Kim Jong-un with praise after their meeting a little different than the way he treated uh, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, after their meeting uh, up in Quebec. What do you say? Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, June 12. Here we go. This is the Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio on Capitol Hill with all the news of the day. This is one of those days as there's only one great big news story, and it is uh, the big summit in Singapore, now over, uh, started just about 12 hours ago, 11 hours ago to be precise, when a carefully staged event 
uh, Donald Trump walking in from stage right, Kim Jong-un from stage left. They meet in the middle with a big handshake and the grin for the cameras, and the summit is underway. We'll tell you all about that, plus a um, very, very uh, dangerous uh, and horrible decision from the Supreme Court yesterday, um, giving more weight and more fuel to the attempt of red states to suppress the vote, particularly uh, to take the vote away from people who were more likely to vote uh, Democratic. And uh, the other big news that from the White House yesterday, the financial forms coming out showing that some people are becoming very, very rich while working at the White House, starting with first daughter Ivanka Trump and husband Jared Kushner. We'll tell you all about that. You tell us what you think about it. Your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. As we come to you live on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, on Free Speech TV, and on WCPT out in the greater Chicago area. Before we uh, dive into it, uh, Peter, Yeah. Uh, so one hour under, under our belts, and uh, some comments coming up. From all of you, again, on um, Twitter at BP Show. BP Show. Don't forget to follow us there. Lots of different comments there. Walker Ogden, this is has to do with the uh, conversation you were just having with Sam Baker, says healthcare is definitely a sword the Democrats can yield and yell about, but do they have the spine necessary to do it? It's a, that's a very good question. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. And if they don't. Joey says, uh, start- I mean, and, and so the Trump administration has just, they've handed Democrats a great yeah. gift with this stupid move that they're making, an uh, ugly move that they're making, if Democrats take advantage of it. Yeah, yeah. And on that point, Joey says, time for Democrats to start running ads informing the public of the GOP's actions yeah, and absolutely. the pre-existing condition rule. Yeah, I mean, look, you can go out there and you can start doing this. Also, the uh, one thing that... that that the one thing that Sam Sam made this point, Sam Baker, our last guest, made this point that that everybody agreed with is you should not yeah. deny a person the right to get health insurance just because you know they once had jaundice or sure they you know have asthma or something like that. Yeah, they just they, they, everybody sees that. That's it's what they cruel. want. That's what that's what Donald Trump wants. Right. Uh, salty alter ego says Democrats need to start sending out postcards in swing states and Republican <laughs> cities and counties and start kicking some of them off of the rolls. Time to play dirty. Stop trying to rise above. It's not working. I I get that. I get that. Uh, also, we talked about the Supreme Court and why it's so important to vote, vote, vote. KG says, Bill, even when we do vote for a Democrat, we still don't get our Supreme Court justice. Uh, comment about Merrick Garland not getting uh, a place on the Supreme Court, as as we just talked about. Um, uh, true, 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 true. But we got Merrick Garland nominated. And, uh, and before that, we got... Stephen Breyer, we got Sonia Sotomayor, yes. we got Elena Kagan, we got Ruth Bader Ginsburg. If you haven't seen the RBG documentary, you must see it. By the way, one uh, final comment on our Twitter feed at BP Show. Yesterday, we put up our poll, uh, will the North Korea summit amount to anything more than a glorified photo op? Uh, just about 25 minutes left to vote if you still want to vote, even though we sort of know now that it is pretty much a glorified photo op. Uh, 35% said yes, real work will happen. 65% say no. 
It is a photo op. You can still vote on that on our Twitter feed at BP Show. Well, you know, on that note of reality, uh, or reality note, I guess, about the summit, uh, it's good to keep in mind, yeah, you know, um, again, whatever we think of Donald Trump or Kim Jong-un, the fact that they met is good. It's a historic meeting. Uh, the fact that there is a Donald Trump says they're going to meet again. Certainly the two teams, the two sides of whatever conversations they began in Singapore uh, are going to continue through a series of meetings working toward the goal of denuclearization of the entire peninsula. That's going to take years, decades probably. Um, but if we get there, that'll be a huge, huge, huge outcome uh, of the summit. But all we saw in Singapore, at the very best, was the beginning of a process. And again, let's hope that process works and to a very successful conclusion. But we're certainly not there yet. What we saw yesterday was, as we expected it to be, really not little more than a giant photo op and an opportunity for Donald Trump to say right away, I just met this man, but I can tell you right now, he's one of the greatest people that ever walked the planet, whatever walked the face of the earth. Yep, we're going to put him on Mount Rushmore, <laughs> just about. Although, you have to leave room for me, Donald Trump will say on Mount Rushmore, but we'll put Kim Jong-un right alongside of me. I mean, just listen to how he talks about him. I learned he's a very talented man. Yeah. I also learned that he loves his country very much. And, he, and, yeah. then he, and then he goes on to talk about how much his people he love him. He just met him. He just met him. Just met him. Just met him. And then he goes on how much his people love him. There will be unquestionable. Oh, wait, no, sorry. That's the yeah. wrong clip. Here's the one where yeah. he was talking about uh, uh, his people. People love yeah. him. I don't want to talk about it specifically, but we've given him. He's going to be happy. His country does love him. His people, you see the fervor. They have a great fervor. <laughs> they don't have a choice. No. I get sent to a concentration I, camp. I, 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 I said it a little earlier. It reminds me of when George W. Bush went to Moscow for the first time and met Putin, and he said, "I looked into his eyes and I saw his soul." Right. Well, which is still just one of the weirdest things. Weirdest to say. things to say. Well, in effect, in his own way, this is what Donald Trump was. Like. I jotted down this morning some of the things that Donald Trump said. You know, immediately uh, after the summit, fantastic meeting, very positive. Top of the line. That's, what he, that he, that's the way he described the meeting. And about Kim Jong-un, he said, uh, uh, what did you learn about him? He said, uh, Donald Trump, uh, he's got a great personality and he's very smart. He's a very worthy, smart negotiator. Uh, we just heard this. A very talented man. Uh, and the president said, what about white, inviting him to the White House? Oh, yeah. Donald Trump saying, boy. Can't wait to get him over here. That will be a day that I look very much forward to at the appropriate time. And I also will be inviting Chairman Kim at the appropriate time to the White House. Mm -hmm. And it was um, only a year ago, less than a year ago, uh, when Donald Trump was, um, again, calling him a little rocket man, calling him crazy, and threatening to actually just wipe North Korea off the face of the earth. Uh, and uh, that message that he said yesterday, a little different message that he takes to Singapore. I stand before you as an emissary of the American people to deliver a message of hope and vision and a message of peace. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah, right. 
What? <laughs> okay, so um, some people pointed out, and this was uh, one of the reporters raised this in his news conference yesterday. So, so it looks like it looks like you, we have given up a lot just to get Kim Jong Un to this meeting. What about so? What what's all? What's the United States given up? We haven't given up anything other than you're right. I agreed to meet. And I think the meeting was every bit as good for the United States as it was for North Korea. Oh, so we didn't give up anything, but we did give up something. We will be stopping the war games, (laughs) which will save us a tremendous amount of money, unless and until we see that the future negotiation is not going along like it should. Yeah. By the way, the sanctions do continue. The president said, until they see some real progress on denuclearization. Um, but that's that's a sort of a classic Trump. We didn't give up anything, but we did give up this. We did give up the war games. Uh, and we don't know what Chairman Kim gave up. Um, points out this morning, by the way, the New York Times pointing out this morning, in terms of how far we've got to go to denuclearization, North Korea has, according to the RAND Corporation, North Korea, 141 sites devoted to the production and use of unconventional weapons. So they got a long, if you're talking about denuclearization, you got a long way to go. Holy cow. 141 different sites. Well, like, look, this is. So they blew up that, you know, that, but that was a little talk about about a photo op. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like. This was what he wanted to do. This was what Kim Jong-un wanted to do. He was hell-bent on building up this nuclear program for North Korea. Yeah. I mean, that's abs- that's astounding that they had that many sites. Yeah. So it's a long way to go before Let's see him blow no all more. those up in front of reporters. Yeah, before there's uh, no, no new... Uh, and by the way, but no, uh, no nuclear program uh, in North Korea, if we ever get there. Um also, the subject was raised yesterday about human rights violations. Um, what about, did you raise this issue at all with uh, Chairman Kim, uh, the president was asked at his news conference? Uh, we'll be doing something on it. It's, it's rough. It's rough in a lot of places, by the way. Not just there, but it's rough. It is rough. Rough, uh, it is rough in those human rights violations in, in North yeah. Korea, by the way. Uh, <laughs> These are really tough. These are really tough human rights violations. <laughs> and, and the president was asked at, at the, the news conference, too, well, did you say anything about those hundreds of thousands of, uh, or at least tens of thousands of North Koreans who were locked up in these gulags because they happened to be political prisoners or political dissidents? Um, Donald Trump called them the big winners. Of the summit meeting, yeah, they're the, they're the big winners because uh, he's sure now after the summit that Kim Jong Un is going to go home and uh, do something very nice for all those political prisoners in the gulags of North Korea. I'd like to ask one of those prisoners over their gruel this morning whether they consider themselves uh, a big winner. Folks, uh, look at them; they're tired of winning. <laughs> yeah, are you tired of winning yet? Uh, well, we're big winners uh, th- th- today because we get to welcome to the studio. <laughs> as a nice a friend, segue, Bill. As a friend of Bill. <laughs> a bit of a professional. <laughs> our, our good buddy, Evan McMorris-Santoro. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Good to Hello. see you. So, 
I, one How thing are I, you? I'm doing really well. Uh, you know, it's what it's. What uh, are you doing getting here so late? Well, it's parade day in D.C. to celebrate our caps. Washington All Capitals caps, baby. Yeah. winning the Stanley Cup. And so when I left, uh, the parade's already being set up, and so there was a little traffic. And I apologize to uh, you, your listeners, <laughs> right. the North we'll Korean government. <laughs> um, my my question is I'm surprised you're not in Singapore. Well, a question. Well, I, actually, my colleague Shauna Thomas is in Singapore. Um, which, if you watch our show Vice News tonight on HBO, you can see her. All right. But um, I wanted to ask a question that I have not heard one thing about the, uh, about this summit so far, which is. Did those coins get used that they made? Remember oh my those, God, that's right. Remember those remember coins, coins that they made? It was like yeah, Trump and Kim I, and the air. Yeah. Did they get used? Were they just going to be handed out? I yeah, but I, 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 I feel like I feel like we had so much coverage of these coins. There's been no follow up. So I'm going to ask uh, our our next guest that comes in about these coins. That's all I'm saying. I liked it. All I right. Like it. Yeah. I, I want one. You you can buy one. You could. You're, I don't know if they're still for sale, but they were for sale on the White House. They right? were commemorative coins. They were right? discounted. No, no, the no, challenge right. coins. So the president oh. you know goes around and gives out these coins to people, and they made this very elaborate coin for this summit. Then the summit was not going to happen. They're, the coins were made fun yeah, of, and now right. the summit was back on. I guess the coins are being used. What do you mean a challenge coin? So, so these things that are called they're challenge coins. So it's a it's 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 a military tradition where you give um, all these like it used to be soldiers carried them, and they had like you know they would like sort of be like various bases and things like that, and you give them and you're supposed to put all your coins on the table. Never puts the last one out. Has to buy the beer basically. But so since that time, it's become this sort of thing in D.C. where everybody has to have these to carry around. So, so the president carries around a challenge coin. Fence secretary carries around a challenge coin. Uh, famously, Scott Pruitt made one for his EPA that took the EPA logo off because he thinks it's oh. he, he doesn't like the logo of the EPA. It looks too, like, hippie or something. He's not into it. So anyway, it's just this was a big pre-story to this summit was – What's going to happen with these coins? And I now, I, I, I frankly just don't know what happened to them. You've raised the most interesting issue about the summit that we've heard all day. Well, that's that's what I'm here for. But also, I want to ask you, why don't we have a challenge coin, Peter? We should. It's a great point. We totally should. I feel like I failed you as a producer. It's a great point. <laughs> um, but what are, I mean, so... Let's do it. Let's get the design. We'll get us started. Let's so have I missed it. everything well, so great? Your... I mean, I mean, have we talked about Dennis Rodman already and all this great stuff that happened yesterday? <laughs> uh, yeah. well, we, we actually haven't talked about Dennis actually, Rodman Actually, we yet. haven't because if there's one person who gets the credit for bringing these two leaders together, he deserves it and he takes it. Here is Dennis Rodman. Yesterday. I just happen to be a part of it because I, I think that is very I think that I brought awareness to a lot of things around the world. He brought awareness to this around the world. This there was, would be no summit without Dennis Rodman. So Rodman was on CNN last night. I'm sitting. I'm sitting at home, preparing for the show, watching my uh, CNN, getting my knowledge about this summit. And Chris Cuomo has a show, and he brings Dennis Rodman on, and they have this long interview. First, Dennis Rodman is wearing a uh, an advertisement, a shirt <laughs> yes. advertising a like a cryptocurrency for marijuana. Potcoin. Potcoin.com. Potcoin. Um, and he says it. Then he says it again. Then he gets Cuomo to say it. 
And then he talks about how you he... You mean that he deserves that, the credit? Yeah. No, no, no. Oh, we're in the, oh. When we're wearing the shirt. Oh. This is beyond oh. the credit stuff. <laughs> oh, oh. Then, then the most amazing part about it, okay, first of all, they go back to this whole... They, they talk all about it. I mean, you know, people are well aware of, of Dennis Rodman's visit to North Korea. He brought some basketball players there. There was a whole interaction several years ago, five years ago, I believe it was. Um, was it that long ago? I think yeah. it might have been yeah. five. Yeah, uh, that right. And uh, at the end of the interview... Chris Cuomo says, you know, the interesting thing is Dennis Robin is the only person that we know that has insight into Trump's mind and Kim's mind. And he turns to Dennis Clapper, the former uh, DNI, the Director of National uh, Intelligence. Not Dennis. Uh, James Clapper. James, James Clapper. Clapper. Right. Sorry. The former. <laughs> this the, is great. This is great. The former Director of National Intelligence of the United States. Yes. And Clapper says, you're right. <laughs> 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 what does that tell you oh about our intelligence agents? I just think that this is, a, the, 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 I mean, in a night of remarkable news, yeah, and, yeah, I mean, right. and honestly, some of these photos are amazing, some of this video is amazing, I mean, there really isn't much you can say other than that, I mean, you know, we don't know what's going to happen yet, I'm sure you guys have talked about that at length right. already, yeah. that this is, yeah. There's, yeah. there's a lot of rubber to meet the road here, but just that the fact that I saw the former director of national intelligence <laughs> agreeing that Dennis Rodman is America's best resource into insight into both of these men, I think summarizes a great deal about where we are diplomatically. Isn't this classic Donald Trump in that he shakes the guy's hand and immediately he knows everything about him? Yeah, I mean. But we've seen this in other relationships. When President Xi, whom he attacked for a year and a half as a campaigner, you were out there on the campaign trail. Right. And he comes to Mar-a-Lago, and right away, they're best buds because <laughs> they have chocolate cake together, right? Well, you recall uh, George W. Bush and Putin, right? We've been like talking I about that. I saw yeah. his soul. I saw his heart. He's a good man. Eyes, yeah, he's a whole. good man. Right. Um, listen, this is the kind of thing, I mean, this, this really is the kind of thing where the promise of Trump is that he's supposed to be able to do this kind of thing. That's that's what he told all that's the voters. That's what I do. That's what he said. I mean, he already talked about the idea of— In, the, in um, one minute, in one minute, he'll know. When right. describing the, the future of this relationship, he mentions the idea that, like, look, the thing is, North Korea's got all this great land, all these beaches. Have you seen the beaches? They shoot the cannons off the beach. These beaches are great. These people own all the land between South Korea and China. China. That's pretty good. Right, so he's already talking about condos. You know what I mean? He he said, I just I wrote this down. He told them, "Wait, you could have, you could have the best hotels in the world. Best hotels in the world. This is what I'm saying. This is this is, this is what he's here to do. So the problem that I have with this is that we're not able to at this juncture say what exactly happened. We've seen the North Koreans before make a lot of promises. They haven't ended up with much of anything in the in the long run. Um, but I mean." I'm not sure that there's that there's much more. I mean, the president went over there. He shook his hand. He talked to him, and you know, we'll see what happens, right? And he got back on the plane. Yeah, yeah. right. I mean, that's about all that happened. That's about all that happened. Possibly coins were exchanged. We don't know about the coins, <laughs> right? Yeah. Now, is this the beginning of a process? They say it is. Hopefully, it is. Will this process continue? Maybe lead to some conclusion. We can all hope that will. But you know, past history shows this is the third, fourth time that an American president has reached a deal with North Korea 
toward denuclearization, whatever they called it back then, and every one of the other three have fallen apart. Right. So and this could well fall apart, too. Right, and that's correct. And and, and I also, we're going to have another guest coming on that knows a lot more about this than me, but I, I will say another interesting thing politically to watch yesterday was, you know, yes, this summit is a big part of the Trump agenda, is a big win that, the, that, that Trump wanted, but there's still the White House, and they did use the summit to bury some important news. Uh, we saw, obviously, yesterday the Supreme Court ruled about yeah. about the yeah. voting rights uh, and the voter purge in in Ohio, but also Jeff Sessions announced um, a truly remarkable change to our immigration system in that we're no longer going to um, use domestic violence as a means to get asylum inside the United States. Um, that's a huge change for us, huge, 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 huge change, and they happened to let it out just as the president was preparing for it to have that walk. Uh, to meet uh, Kim uh, in, in in North Korea and I mean in, uh, in in Singapore, and you know I have to say I watched a lot of news this morning and I have not seen one mention of this immigration thing. No. So uh, by the way, the White is, House it, is still functioning yes. as normal in terms of this is a a pretty remarkable day, a fly by the seat of the pants kind of day, a very Trumpian kind of day, but it's also a very classic day in Washington is that big news is happening and it's being buried by all this stuff. Right. Uh, in effect, Jeff Sessions said, from now on, we will not grant any asylum uh, at the southern border at any rate. Uh, you know, no matter what excuse, if you say certain words, here's Sessions talking about it yesterday, just to, um, uh, it, it, first of all, he said Congress is going to have to give us some, some help here. But then he said, you, doing your job, right, you, people can't just come in and say the words, I'm seeking asylum and then give, give, be given any special protection. Saying a few simple words, claiming a fear of return, is now transforming a straightforward arrest for illegal entry and immediate return into a prolonged legal process where an alien mm. may be released from custody into the United States and possibly never show up for an immigration hearing. Yeah, so God forbid, right? That well, I think anybody who's threatened by domestic violence or whatever, yeah. right, a legitimate concern that, that and they and they make that case at the board. No, from now on, they're just they can't say those words. I want to play a clip because we, we Senator Richard Blumenthal also talked about this. Yeah. He just said people are going to die. There will be unquestionably death, persecution, torture, victims of those horrific practices that will not survive in the lands where they live now. And that's already happened. We've sent people back who have died. People that got deported and sent home have been killed or died or for whatever different reason, right? Like, it's already happening. Yeah, I mean, the more remarkable one of these, two, I mean, both of these are very big changes to American immigration policy and the idea of what asylum is in this country have now been right. changed significantly. Yeah. yeah. But the truly ironic one uh, was the one where... Or can seek silence, uh, uh, asylum if you fear you're going to be a victim of gang violence. You know, this is an administration that talks endlessly about MS-13, MS-13, endlessly about gangs. And now they say, oh, well, if you're a gang violence victim, you're fleeing that. You can't seek asylum on those grounds. Yep. I, I mean, this is the stuff that is very, very sweeping policy changes. And I just want to make sure that everybody who's, who's listening, and, 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 it's gonna, and we're going to spend a lot of time all over the news the next couple of weeks talking about North Korea and talking about what what might happen there, that's a what might happen. This immigration thing did happen. Did happen. It is right. happening now. And so the Supreme Court decision yesterday. That's correct. 
Um, yeah, one story that we haven't mentioned at all today. I don't know whether you saw this. One of my favorite stories yesterday, the Politico story about Donald Trump's filing system. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's... Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. Just so everybody knows. Yeah, right? yeah. Tell them. So tell Donald them. Trump, he signs all these papers. He gets all these papers and he signs all these papers. These are presidential documents, right? And what happens in any other any other administration, Republican or Democrat, those things are very carefully kept. And they're put away somewhere forever, right? They that's end a requirement in, by law. It's a requirement by law, right? It's not just that they happen to be... Mm-hmm. kooky, want to save every piece of paper, right? Well, so what Donald Trump does, he'll sign something or look at something and read it, and then he just picks it up and goes, and he just tears it up tears in it little up. pieces of paper like that, right? <laughs> and then they've got some gnome in the White House whose job is to pick up these scraps. They said sometimes they'll put them in the wastebasket, sometimes he just throws them on the floor. Willy-nilly on the floor. My, my favorite quote from that was was from somebody who clearly loves their job, saying, you know, some days we come in and he's just torn the paper in half. Other days, it looks like a pile of confetti on the desk. <laughs> he, just, he finishes it and just is like, okay, I'm yeah. done with this tear. Right. Now, the thing about this is, I mean, I, I already mentioned irony earlier, but I, I it's, it's kind of sad that I already said the word because what actually happened when I read this story was I actually died of irony. Like, like, <laughs> like, like I'm no longer a corporeal being. I, I am now a, a, a corpse, a ghost on your show. Because I read this article, okay, about the President of the United States with uh, documents that are required by law to be kept in the archives. And the reason for that is very simple. It's not just for, you know, you know, for the, you know, a fun library to go visit, but because this is history. This yeah. is this is how we understand what happened right. so we can right. make plans for what happens right. in the future. So, you know, th- this is why every piece of paper the president touches is cataloged and kept. Yeah. Every, you know, email, okay? And speaking of email, so I'm reading the story about this torn these torn documents and somebody having to tape back together and just the words Hillary Clinton's emails yeah. floated through my brain, <laughs> and I died of irony. <laughs> like, it's the most ridiculous thing. And this is the thing. You know, this is our system. Our system is that um, if you're president, obviously it turns out we'll just use taxpayer money to reassemble your torn up documents. This wasn't the kind of story that you get, which is like a rumor story or like sources no. say. Yeah. No. The guy who did the job and Talk no longer does it was yeah. on the record describing this entire process. There is a time not that long ago that if a single piece of paper from a meeting with President Obama had been torn up and thrown in a wastebasket, we'd have like 20 years of congressional hearings. Yeah. I mean, th- th- this is this is the kind of thing where... You know, informational security, right? Like the security of yeah. our of our important documents was like eighty percent of the conversation <laughs> in twenty sixteen, right? And now we have this president, and he's just tearing stuff. Just I mean, tearing stuff up. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, Lord knows what the floor in that Singapore hotel looks like <laughs> today. I don't. I wouldn't want to be that guy. No, imagine, imagine. He'll get, well, I guess, thank Truly God. Truly remarkable thank story. God, I recommend God. everybody try to find thank it. Thank God for it. scratch tape. All right, quick break here with Evan McMorris and staying with us as a friend of Bill Gregory Hellman, rather, sorry, uh, from Politico. He just mentioned Politico. Joins us next to talk more about the summit, what we, what we can expect to come out of it, and the rest of the news of the day. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. You got it. Tuesday, June 12. 
It is, uh, this was supposed to be the day of the summit. It's really the day after the summit because of the time difference with uh, Singapore. Go figure. It is the Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C., brought to you today by the hardworking men and women of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the UFCW under President Mark Perrone. They are a proud union family that feeds, serves, and provides for America's hardworking families, all the great people that serve us at the great grocery chains uh, around uh, the country, Costco and all the rest, um, Safeway and Ralph's. That's the UFCW members there. We salute them, thank them for the support of the program. Evan McMorris Santoro from uh, the great Vice News. Weeknight, 7.30 p.m. on HBO. Thank you, Bill. There we go. Nice to see uh, you. Catch uh, Evan. Uh, here is a friend of Bill. And Greg Hellman joins us from Politico, defense reporter. Hi, Greg. It's nice to see you. Hey, nice to see Thanks you, for coming. Bill. Thank you for having me. Uh, Evan and I have been talking about all the wonderful things we can expect now and the re- in the wake of this summit, right? <laughs> it's going to be just one st- a, a direct path from here to denuclearization. Uh, not so much, uh, I would say. Uh, you know, we, we had the, uh, the uh, statement that came out of the summit uh, indicating that denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula was a goal, but uh, we are a long way and many steps away from being able to achieve that, uh, I would say. What's the next first next step? More meetings? More meetings is exactly right. I mean, those are the first reports is that uh, Trump is heading back home uh, to Washington and he's going to be holding meetings with uh, his senior advisors, Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, uh, uh, Chief of Staff, John Kelly. And, you know, the devil of this thing is going to be in the details and has been reported by a lot of people uh, so far. Uh, Denuclearization, especially in a country like North Korea, is a complicated and years long process if it's even to happen. So we'll see, is what I would say. New York Times has a front page this morning that, uh, according to Rand, North Korea has 141 sites devoted to the production uh, and whatever management of unconventional weapons. Right. And locating where all those sites are <laughs> is, is, is just an intelligence uh, nightmare. You know, you know, certainly we have a lot of um, you know, ISR and satellite photos that we try to figure these things out, but frankly, it's dispersed. It's often underground, uh, and it's very difficult to get a complete accounting of where all these types of sites are. And as the New York Times article did a, a very good job of laying yeah. out, I think, the different types of sites that we're talking about. So it's, it's really a complicated task we have before us if we get to that point, which to me still is not clear. Now, the biggest mystery of the summit is one that uh, Evan is uh, obsessed with this morning. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I want to know about the coin. Did they get the did they give the challenge coins out that we heard all about? Oh, yeah. You, you know, what? That, that's a great question. <laughs> no, no, I got, I'm, unfortunately, I got to be honest with you. I do not have anything to report in the. I'm that telling front. you, this is like totally lost to history, this thing. But um, actually, a question I wanted to ask is about what is that U.S. concessions, because one thing that we saw yeah. uh, was the U.S. mentioned it's going to stop doing joint military exercises with the South Koreans. And then on the way over here. So I don't want to put you on the spot. I don't know. I thought I saw the South Korean regime saying we don't really know what that means we're trying to figure it out what how big a concession is that what is that i mean what does that matter is that something that we should be thinking about the idea of not doing these exercises that we're used to seeing on you know reported on all the time yeah uh well first of all yes i think it matters number one number two i think it would be a major concession but it is not clear to me exactly what the president meant by that. And I think that's something we're going to be spending the, yeah. the, day, the day figuring out. Right. Let's just, uh, just uh, hear him yesterday. He was asked 
haven't we given up a lot, right, in order to get this summit uh, at the news conference? Uh, here's his response. Mm -hmm. We haven't given up anything other than you're right. I agreed to meet. And I think the meeting was every bit as good for the United States as it was for North Korea. All right. So then we didn't give up anything. Then he immediately follows that by saying, well, we did give up. We will be stopping the war games, which yeah. will save us a tremendous amount of money, unless and until we see that the future negotiation is not going along like it should. These are the annual war games that we did with South Korea, right? We did Correct. one recently. Correct. And then Kim Jong-un got upset about that, and then right. Donald Trump got upset about him and pulled the plug, and then they put it back together again. But right. what do we lose by giving up these war games? Nothing, do we? Well, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say nothing. I mean, uh, the war games, you know, one, there's this symbolic purpose, right? There's this annual exercise of we hold these war games, and North Korea, you know, cries fall and, and throws a fit. I mean, there's there's genu general, genuine military readiness issues that that go into these. They're they're not they're not purely symbolic, right? You know, there are interoperability benefits to exercising with Korean and Japanese forces. Uh, it, you know, this is a real situation. The Korean War still has technically never ended because we mm -hmm. did not get a peace treaty to come out of this summit. Um, it's uh, despite hearing the the quote you just played from the president a moment ago. It's not clear to me yet exactly what he means by this and whether or not this was something that was just ad-libbed. Uh, it doesn't seem like it was something that was pre-planned because we, we've gotten statements uh, from uh, the Pentagon uh, saying that they haven't received any order uh, to cease these exercises. We got a statement from the South Korean Blue House. That's you know their executive office uh, saying we're trying to figure out what uh, President mm -hmm. Trump meant uh, by this. Uh, you know, this only happened you know, a couple hours ago, whenever it was, when he said this. So uh, I think uh, a little bit of a TBD in this column, but certainly an important uh, development, if true. But it speaks a bit to also how weird this is in terms of this massive uh, conversation about, uh, you know, a huge... Uh, ongoing conflict region. Mm -hmm. It seems like a lot of our allies in that region don't really know what the president is thinking or doing with that, right? I mean, that South Korea doesn't know what he means. So it's I, obviously this is not a, they, they were not, they didn't work this out ahead of time, it sounds like. Right. I, I mean, this has been the frequent criticism of the president, right? Is that sometimes he just says things and it gets walked back through the policy process and through different. Uh, different members of his administration, you know, leading leading up uh, to this summit, uh, you know, we got statements mm -hmm. from Defense Secretary uh, Jim Mattis, very clear, we're not taking troops off the Korean Peninsula. Uh, you know, the president has been, uh, has made certain statements that have made people question whether or not that, that might be something that uh, is on the table. Um, you're right, you're right. I, I think sometimes the president says things and... Um, you know, then reality hits and it has to go through the policy process and those things may or may not come to fruition. Who's in charge of this process now? Is it Pompeo? Is it Mattis? Is it Mattis wasn't even there in Singapore, was he? I don't think. Uh, no, no. Mattis was was not there in yeah. Singapore. Uh, Is say, it Bolton? I mean, who? Well, uh, it's it's a good it's a good question, Bill. Uh, I don't know that there. I, I, you know, Pompeo has been the one who has been leading the negotiations, and right. he's the one who was initially doing the shuttling back sure. and forth, there twice? kind of laying out, laying the foundations for these talks to take place. 
Um, I, I don't think that necessarily means that Pompeo calls the shots on all things uh, North Korea, but certainly uh, he has been uh, at the kind of tip of the spear of, of making these things happen. Do you have a sense of how the military establishment in the United States feels about all this? I mean, this this is sort of one of the few potential hot zones that we have. I mean, we I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we were gearing up for war, which is something that we like to talk about. You know, we, we talk about maybe we're, maybe we might have a war, but those are the people who actually have to think about that war, right? Um, do you know how they feel about this this shift in rhetoric, this change? I mean, how how this is playing in the Pentagon circles? Um, you know, that's that's hard for me to say. Um, I don't know that I necessarily have a good sense of how this is playing uh, in, in the Pentagon circles. Um, you know, listen, we've been on the Korean Peninsula, permanent presence, uh, you know, tens of thousands of troops over there since the 1950s, since since the Korean War. This is this is a permanent presence. This is an enduring defense relationship we have with our allies over in South Korea and Japan and throughout the region. Um Shifts like this don't happen overnight, and I and I think it would be safe to say that that uh, many people in the Pentagon share that viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, do we know um, anything more about this? Was this also just a matter of fact thing of inviting Kim Jong Un to the White House? Now, I mean, Evan hmm. and I were talking about this earlier. Yeah. I mean, this is Donald Trump's style. They meet somebody, shakes right. his hand, and right away they're they're best buds. Right? They've been forever. I mean, the 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 praise that he lavished on Kim Jong-un, right? I was just jotting some of those down yeah. earlier. Great personality, very smart, very worthy, smart negotiator, a very talented man. Yeah, so, sort of the ultimate praise that he can give somebody, the, the very talented negotiator, right? Because uh, the president envisions himself yeah. as kind of the negotiator-in-chief. And he said, and of course I'm going to invite him to the White House. And he did, and Kim Jong-un accepted. I know. Oh. I, I, you know, it's... It, he he said it, so certainly there it, it could happen but, now. But um, you know, listen. It, if we recall how this all started, the South Korean uh, president came to the United States and delivered uh, the president a letter saying that yeah. Kim Jong Un would would like to hold a meeting uh, with you. He you know he read this letter, uh, and the president decided on the spot, yeah, I'll hold I'll hold a meeting uh, uh, right. with this guy. So this is his style, right? Well, you know, what's funny is I hadn't thought about the connection there, but then he pulled the plug on the meeting, said there's not going to be any meeting, and then right. the guy from North Korea comes, delivers another letter. Right. I guess this is the way the man's heart, Evan. Yeah, I mean, deliver I, a letter. I, I mean, I think a big letter this time was I, a big letter. I think one of the most surprising Example. things about this is, I mean, just, for, I mean, I don't know, just from a, a perspective of watching it on TV last night, is that. All the, these massive problems that can then have this human scale to them, uh, you know, Kim comes out, yeah. he's, ta- he's taking selfies with people in 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 Singapore. Trump shows up, shakes a hand. I mean, we've tried a lot of the, the United States has tried a lot of things with North Korea. They tried a lot of things to get to deal with deal with North Korea. They haven't tried this, and um, you know, I, I don't know in general. It, the idea of, you know, I mean, I know that there are foreign policy experts who mention the yeah. idea that, you know, any sort of conversation with the North Korean regime, is, you know, legitimizes it or, or, or you know, somehow endangers people. Um, but what I was struck by most, actually, was here are these two people uh, for whom, you know, like, you know, atomic doom was was recently like assigned as their job. 
Now they're talking and they're hanging out. Like, I mean, if he comes to the White House, it wouldn't be surprising. It is the kind of thing that Trump would do. But I'm not sure at this point if this is the way we're going to play this out. We should just expect it to be more and more and more stuff like this, right? I mean, maybe Kim goes to Mar-a-Lago, too. You know what I mean? Oh. I mean, Trump does what Trump does, right? You know, we, we saw what he did with the prime minister of Japan, who he's brought down to Mar-a-Lago a bunch of times. This is, this is, this is what he thinks— Will work, and it seems to me that the it seems to me that the early results are no one's able to say this hasn't worked yet. Well, well, to me, I think what's striking is the eagerness to to kind of form this personal bond on on the part of the president, right? I mean, the whole bringing him to the White House—it's not like this is unprecedented, right? I mean, we look at Gaddafi, for example. You know, you, you read a lot in the news, especially in the context of North Korea, the Libya model, and that's like a dirty word uh, or a dirty phrase in in negotiating circles sometimes because of what it implies. But Libya denuclearized, and we brought Gaddafi over to the White House, right? This is a guy that, you know, was assigned responsibility for the, you know, Lockerbie bombing. He, he, he was public enemy number one for Did a period of time. Did he come to the White House? Uh, he came to D.C., if Did, I recall correctly. Really? Yeah. I don't remember that at all. Right. I mean, that would be yeah, stunning if, if he did. And if he did, I, don't, I can't believe it. But— uh, I'm going to double check that, but I mean, bringing, bringing but it's an idea of just doing the, no, of, di- right. of, di- of diplomacy directly, right? Versus well, this sort of other, yeah. I don't no, know. This, this is a totally, here. totally different approach, as you point out. Yeah. It was nuclear doom a year ago, uh, less than a year ago, uh, and uh, Dan Balls makes this point in the uh, in the Washington Post this morning, which I thought was a good one. That every other attempt that's that's been tried and failed started bottoms up all these weeks and months of negotiating and we get up to an agreement. This is the total opposite. This is top down. Right. That's right. Right? We and don't you know what? Maybe it'll work. That's what I'm saying. I mean it seems like Maybe. it seems I mean based on what I have read, I mean Greg would know this better than me, but 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 from what I have seen so far, it seems like we can't say it didn't work and we can't say it worked. Right? Is that basically right? I, yeah. I would agree with that statement. I yeah. have to tell you, I Googled the uh, if Qaddafi oh, yeah. oh. came here, right? I found this article from 2009. Yeah. The Libyan leader is scheduled to attend the UN General Assembly this week. He had been struggling to find a photo or to find a plot to accommodate the large Bedouin tent he takes with him when traveling <laughs> abroad. He pitched his tent. On an estate belonging to Donald Trump in suburban New York yesterday. <laughs> Unreal. That is some well Googled. That's yeah, well Googled. Thank you for that. That, that, nothing we set that up. Yeah. Almost. I, I like I don't I, I'm I, kind of speechless. That, uh, I I did see not that end especially well for Gaddafi, though. No, this Fair. story did not end Which is very why well. John for Bolton him. suggesting we use the Libyan model wasn't necessary. Was not received but look, well. even John. I mean, John <laughs> Bolton was there. All the cast of characters yeah. that weren't supposed to be, you know, every right. oh no, but they're there, and we come out in the end being like, you know, right. I don't know, like. I yeah. don't know. I think you have to call that a victory for the president Don- in the yeah. short term. In the short term. Donald Trump even yesterday said that the angry rhetoric, the little rock and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. led right to this summit. That here, here he is, yeah. I think without the rhetoric, it wouldn't have happened. I think without other things going along, I think uh, the establishment of a new team was very important. Without the rhetoric, it wouldn't have happened. We cannot say today he's wrong. I can't say right? he, I can't say he's wrong, and not only can I not say he's wrong, um, there there is there are there are, are I think legitimate arguments oh. to say he's correct, right? I mean, we had all these nuclear tests on the part of North Korea leading up to this. You remember during the summer there there was there was it seemed like another missile test almost every week, almost every day. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, this this is part of the negotiating strategy of North Korea. They wanted to go in kind of at their maximum standing with, with maximum leverage. And from their perspective, I think that's perfectly plausible and understandable. Until, until I hear Kim say... Because the president called me little rocket man, I'm gonna <laughs> disarm. I mean, we've heard, I mean, we leave out the South Koreans in this conversation. They have a president there now, mm-hmm. a leader there now, who is very interested in moving on from the Korean War, and it seems like Kim is more in, is interested in it too. You know, I, 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 this is what we call in politics a victory lap. So he's gonna say he had a pretty good summit over there, nice photos, everything seemed to go fairly well. He's now going to say everything he did leading up to that summit was worked perfectly. And, you know, I, we just don't know. Right. And Kim Jong-un is going to go back today and release all of his political prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> and show what a great guy he really is, right? Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe. Maybe not. Just don't yeah. have him try to seek asylum in the United States. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. One thing that's kind of gotten lost in this, so he's leaving, he, Donald Trump, is leaving Singapore uh, with even praise from some critics like us. Uh, and like yet, you, Bill. Like, like Critics like you. Uh, okay. Greg and I are reporters. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, and like me. but The royal us. But still, two days ago, he left Quebec in flames, right, with the with the, this traditional North American alliance and the G7 in total flames. So, again, the contrast between, like... What he said about Justin Trudeau when he leaves Quebec right. compared to what he's saying about Kim Jong-un when he's leaving Singapore. Well, this, this is what let's I was— not get, Let's not get lost. I have that get lost. Right. Right. Well, right. He, he's nothing if not consistent, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no. What, what this, this is what I was saying about the statement coming from the South Koreans today talking about the military exercises yeah. and not knowing what the president is saying. He doesn't do the normal— um, uh, uh, diplomacy with our actual allies, right? He does this extraordinary diplomacy with a country that the United States considers an adversary, but he doesn't do Mm. the standard stuff with the allies. Um, Again, you know, this is sort of a gimme that he gets politically for this Canada stuff because while there were many Republicans who were questioning the rhetoric he was using about the Canadian leadership and about the G7, um... All that's going to be subsumed for the rest of the week by North Korea. So um, politically, it was like, why not take the shot, I guess? But there is those do have actual ramifications. I mean, it's not just it's not just the politics of it or or how weird it is. It is the fact that many of the base voters that rallied to his side from the steel industry and aluminum industry, they asked specifically not to have these tariffs on Canada, not to go have a trade war with Canada, because, you know, the unions, they crossed the borders. I mean, yeah. this is this is a very strange reality that we're living in here. Um, and while I think that probably this little war of words that happened is going to be essentially erased by North Korea, um, the long-term impacts of it, we will probably see those in the coming weeks. Uh, Greg, from, go ahead. I, I just think it's also important to point out that, that you know, the president, in, in my in my estimation, is coming at this from two different frames as well. When you're talking about North Korea, that is, that is a national security issue. And I'm not trying to say that economic issues aren't also national security issues. Certainly they are. But, you know, comparing uh, statements that Trump is making uh, about uh, tariffs with Canada 
to denuclearizing on the Korean Peninsula. I, I don't necessarily know that you can draw. Well, what about the national security implications of inviting Russia back into the G7? Yeah, that uh, that that certainly drew condemnation from both sides of the aisle. Uh, I would say. I mean, what's the justification? They were thrown out for invading Ukraine and right. seizing Crimea. Right. Four years later, what's the justification for letting them back in? Well, I, I don't know that I can give you a coherent uh, justification, Bill, to be perfectly honest with you. But it, it's certainly consistent with uh, uh, Trump's statements in the past. that About listen, Putin. About, about Putin and, 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 and to be fair, about wanting to improve the relationship with Russia. Uh, as you as you correctly pointed out, uh, Russia was kicked out of the then G8, now G7, for a reason, uh, and those reasons have not changed. Uh, and you know, we saw, you know, from my perspective, reporting on Capitol Hill, statements uh, from, like I said, both sides of the aisle saying uh, this was this is not an appropriate action to take. Would be to put it mildly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's not just that that they now occupy Crimea, right? It's, Crimea is part of Russia. For they've all practical it. purposes, yeah. right? Right, they've annexed it. Yeah, right. um, but we got Syria. We've got poisoning the diplomats, Russia, kind of whatever. Just one quick final point: um, former President George H. W. Bush, ninety-four years old today. What a contrast between style of uh, diplomacy, foreign policy, presidency, and uh, we salute the former president and wish him a happy birthday. And thank you both for being here. Thanks, Bill. Bill. Santoro. All right, on HBO, 7.30 every night. Thanks, Greg. Nice right. to see you, too. Thanks for having me. Have a great day, folks. See you tomorrow. Show.